Warning, this episode is explicit, will contain strong language and sex references. I will attempt to respectfully examine the good and bad depictions of female characters in films. And also trigger warnings for sexual assault and homophobia. Again, I'm discussing them in the context of offensive things in movies. So, yes. Also, I know this may sound preachy, but here goes. I do not condone racism, sexism, homophobia, or transphobia in any form whatsoever. Now that I've said that this podcast is explicit, I will tell the bigots, any bigots, to fuck off right now. Warning, this episode will contain strong language, sex references, well, maybe one or two sex references, maybe more, who knows. And in the, uh, since I'm going to be discussing what and what not to do in the what not to do section, uh, trigger warning for uh, sexual assault. I will discuss it respectfully, of course. All right, on with the show. Three, two, one, here we go. Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we're going to examine what truly makes a strong female character. So shout out to be done at the end and I've got to do this pretty quick and I apologise to Australians that are getting this a bit late. At least in America and the UK you're going to be getting this just fine, alright? So let's just turn that music off so we can get right into the episode. You know, um, yeah, it's it's unfair to say that any character needs a set amount of dialogue. If, for example, you can make a Wally with, with where two robots, one male, one female, say nothing but their names, tell a complete story and flesh out their characters, then why should there be more lines for stuff like, you know, Anna Paquin in The Irish Moon or Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when each perfectly serves their purpose in the story? You know, I, I almost want to be blind to gender, but... With all the injustice women have faced over decades, it's sadly revolutionary when they're just treated like equals, you know? I will do a shout-out at the start because it's long, long overdue, this shout-out. A new guy that I've met on Twitter, and he has a YouTube account. Please go check out, uh, please go check out Zach. I'll search up his last name in a minute, but okay, so yeah. Basically, it's revolutionary when women are just treated like equals in on on sets and in movies. And I don't get why, honestly. It just kills me that we can't live in a world with gender equality, that someone has to ruin it. You know? I can't believe it. Zach Ascott, that was his name. I have to say that, okay? So, yeah. I think that, yeah... With the, with the Me Too movement, I've really been liking the Me Too movement. I've really been liking that, you know, women and even men, they can speak up, have their voices heard. You know, they're not going to be silenced by a misuse of power anymore. And I'm glad for that, you know. I'm so, so glad that all that stuff has happened. So, yeah, fair treatment of everyone on sets, of course. Whether you're a man or a woman, remember gender equality. And, you know, what about strong female characters? Let's look at who we have in strong female characters. We have Pam Grier in Coffee, which I know is an exploitation film, but you know what I mean. I'm, I at least have one listener who uh, loves Pam Grier films. Shout out, say, by Grace 72. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that other... I don't, I don't really care that much for Atomic Blonde. I thought it was just okay, but at least we had Charlize Theron kicking ass as much as John Wick does. You know, what about Shoshana in Inglorious Bastards, from the beginning of the film where she runs away from home after Nazis kill her family, and she's plotting revenge for the whole entire movie. Now, she's pretty strong, you know. This, this episode was actually inspired by a debate, you know, 
like how Tarantino treats his actresses and his female characters. It spawned in the comment section of episode 49, so I thought I'd talk about strong female characters to show that I've been I've been hearing your comments, you know, I've been reading your comments, and I take them on board every single time, and thank you so much, everyone. So, yeah. So, yeah, what else is in this episode? Okay, so there's another type of... I'll get to more strong female characters in a second, but there's a stereotype, and I'm saying this only as a stereotype that people have to face. You know, it can be used for good or bad, but the stereotype is known as the manic pixie dream girl. You know, someone who has no inner life of their own, who is just there to mentor the boy, or it can be gender reversed. It can be the boy who mentors the girl. Basically, those basically those impossibly good people with, with, with no quirks of their own. I mean, the only quirk is that, you know, they're bubbly and... They, they can't fail, or they think that the protagonist can't fail. I, th- I reckon we should start deconstructing the manic pixie dream girl if we haven't already. I think Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind does that quite well, but I won't get into that in case you haven't seen it. But yeah, that's a good example. I know I'm talking pretty fast, but I've had two Coca-Colas so that I wouldn't yawn during this podcast. If I do yawn, forgive me, the Coke is just wearing off. <laughs> so yeah. So, what else in strong female characters? You know, the bride in Kill Bill, who, yes, is hurt. But think about the male heroes, who have been beaten down during fights, sometimes one-sided. Indiana Jones, James Bond, just two examples. But any misogyny in Kill Bill, in my opinion, comes from bigoted, supporting characters who are her enemies. The bride herself is fucking strong. She is dedicated to a mission and willing to get hurt by both men and women, all in the name of justice, just as a fellow warrior would. You know what I mean, right? Not only that, but who else gets over four hours to tell a single sprawling story in a movie? Maybe if you're once upon a time in America, but very rarely, you know? Even Gone with the Wind wasn't quite four hours. It was a couple minutes shy, even if you include the overture and the intermission, you know? But yeah. Even the scream queens in flashy movies are resourceful and determined. Laurie Strode in Halloween, played by the fantastic Jamie Lee Curtis. Or Nancy Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street, played by the fantastic, again, Heather Langenkamp, who is more of a makeup person these days. But yeah, she's like, she is an inspiration. I know I say that a lot, she's an inspiration. I say this person's an inspiration, that person is. But you know, we've got to celebrate strong women in the industry too. You know, these these scream queens, these characters in these horror films, they're shown to have personalities of their own, fears, motivations, growth. This includes, like, Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley, okay? But with, with the examples of Halloween and A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween was 1978 and Nightmare on Elm Street was 1984. It's not to mention that Laurie Strode reappears in 2018's Halloween as a 60-year-old, 60-year-old, grizzled, badass fucking veteran who had to face Michael all those years ago in the first one. And that's pretty rare. I hope older women get more opportunity to star in movies. I hope minorities get more opportunity to, to star in movies. Like, you know, not just, not just in race, but people who don't normally get cast, you know? If Liam Neeson's out there getting cast in roles, in action-heavy roles, despite the fact he's over 60, and that's fine, then why shouldn't it be fine for women too? Why shouldn't it be fine? I forgot to enunciate there. Uh, yeah, but you know what I mean. I mentioned Alien, Aliens, The Terminator, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. There's a great arc over between Terminator and Terminator 2, Judgment Day. With Terminator 2, Sarah Connor's really got to deal with the consequences, you know? 
she's got to get shit together and face off another threat. And it's, it's more of a complex thing than the first movie, which I reckon is really, really great. We, we love the first movie as a small budget thing, but James Cameron took that budget and, and blew the sequel into the stratosphere. I mean, it's fantastic. It is the perfect sequel. Also, in terms of TV shows, I'd list, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Xena Warrior Princess. You know, uh, shout out to Mary Amber. I know she's a big fan of Xena Warrior Princess. I've watched a few episodes. Seems pretty good. I can't do the yodel right now because Dad's asleep in the other room. And if I do, then he'll wake up. You know, you know what I mean. But even, like, stuff like The X-Files, I reckon that it's really Scully... I mean, Mulder's pretty good too, but Scully is a strong scientist with her own personality. Buffy is a vampire slayer with her own personality, her own fears, motivations, drive, and you are. (laughs) If you've seen Buffy, you'll get that. But yeah, you know what I mean, right? Even stuff like, I forgot to mention in the horror movies, The Silence of the Lambs. Now, I know that's not a slasher movie, but Jodie Foster is badass in her own small way. Not insignificant, though. She... You know, think about all she has to go through in the silence of the lambs. And then you realize what a hero she is. You realize that she's just an everyday person working a job. And she kicks just as much ass as Scream Queens. All right? That is amazing. And Jodie Foster's performance is amazing in that film. Like, I recently got the silence of the lambs from a salvo somewhere. It's like a thrift store internationally. You know, anyway, but in terms of young adult things, you know, I saw the first Hunger Games. Now, I didn't see any of the sequels, but I remember the first Hunger Games had a strong, resourceful female protagonist, and it shows how much we're revolving, that people can have these stories. Everyone can have their stories, and so can you, for that matter, you know? But (laughs) I'll tell you what's not a good example. Twilight. Twilight is not a fucking good example. A vampire stalking a lady. (laughs) A vampire who likes watching her sleep. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like a fucking stalker would. I swear. I swear, man. <laughs> or woman. Or, or other who's listening to this. <laughs> I feel the need to encompass every gender. If, you know, you know what I mean, right? So, yeah, anyway. Um, movies that happen to focus on... Yeah, this is just another note. Movies that happen to focus on men or there are less women than than men or vice versa are okay, given that each character plays the role they need to in the story and are treated as non-exploitative... Non-fuck, I'll pronounce that word. Non-exploitative a manner as possible. And, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, here's what I was researching all night, okay? And, you know, not all night, literally. I guess still got to get this podcast out, preferably on time. But if it goes past 12 o'clock, I'll make it as long as I have to. I can hear you saying, get on with it, like they're doing Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I can hear you. Don't worry. But, you know, movies like Watchmen and Fight Club, how do they depict women? Now, I have way more notes on Watchmen than I do on Fight Club. Um, you know, I'll say about Fight Club first. But, you know, I reckon that I was actually a bit mistaken to put Fight Club there because it's actually a pretty good depiction of a damaged woman in a supporting thread, you know, with uh, Marla Singer. But, okay, um, I'm just gonna... She, uh... I'm going to go into a mild spoiler alert for this film, okay? But she does learn to stand up for herself, even if it's in this small little thread. You know what I mean? If you've seen the film, you get what I mean, but I don't want to give away anything else. Okay? 
because Fight Club is definitely, definitely, definitely worth viewing. And, you know, that film, I figured since it was about toxic masculinity and all that stuff and a bunch of other things, I thought it would have been perfect. But, you know, I I ended up just watching it because it was plain old fun as well. But, yeah, I have more notes on Watchmen. Now, this one, I noticed that, uh, well, I have a musician friend who really does not like Watchmen. She reckons that, she reckons that the film treats the female characters really unfairly. The female characters really unfairly. And so I examined this entire film and I say, she's right, you know? I understand every reason. She's read the graphic novel, whereas I've just seen the movie, so there may be parts missing from the graphic novel, but I'm going to go deep dive into uh, the, fem- the female characters and how they're treated in Watchmen, okay? Like, from the author's perspective, not necessarily, yeah, the character's perspective too, because the, some characters do nasty things to women in this film. But, you know, I will, I will say, yes, this has sexist overtones, this story. It's about unlikable characters. It's about moral ambiguity. And yes, I do definitely have my problems with it now that you've pointed out, yes, it is sexist. So let me point out how for all of you. So big spoiler alert for Watchmen the movie, okay? So the first woman, the first woman we see is a female interviewee on a talk show. She talks to the host about nuclear power. Um, you know, they're having a respectful discussion, the reporter. It doesn't start out really sexist or anything. She's just kind of a minor character. Um, you know, the comedian, like the comedian's a really sleazy character. He switches to like a porno and he has a hustler magazine on his table. It slightly lingers on it. I guess it's either his perspective of the camera or they just leave it on there gratuitously because, hey, sex sells and I don't know. Um, yeah. So we get to the opening credit sequence after the comedian had been killed. Um, yeah, I did say spoiler alert, didn't I? Uh, so, yeah. So we have the Minutemen, the first incarnation of the Watchmen. And I know that, yes, sexism was rampant in the 1940s, where that part of the flashback is set. And, of course, why can't... Like, yeah, I just think that, well, they forced... In back then, you know, they, women could not dress like men. You know, women had less choice about what to wear. And I feel like it was too overly sexualized back then. And, you know, in that decade, men did not respect women enough, if at all. That's just my two cents on that. So, yeah, I hate sexism. I hate everything that stands for. And, yeah. So, of course, you know, I selected... Uh, yeah, it's ultimately, though... I'm going to, before I go into anything else, I'm going to say it's a good story overall, the film, but it's about corrupt people in vigilante form, not even heroes. And the moral ambiguity of the film is what makes it for me. We don't, we don't agree with the characters, but, you know, I was writing these notes as the film went along. This is about my eighth viewing of it. So Rorschach's the closest thing to a protagonist we can really latch onto. Even he's extremely flawed, right? So... Rorschach says two things in his second narration that, yes, are incredibly sexist, which are, the first Silk Spectre is a bloated, aging whore. He said that in the film. And also, you can tell he's definitely homophobic because, you know, I mentioned, I forgot to mention, yeah, during the opening scenes, since homosexuality was um, looked down upon in the 1940s, you know, we get two of the superheroes are outed, and they're seen dead in bed, um, two women, 
with blood heavily staining the sheets. Oh, it's just, it's horrible to see that. They've painted in blood the words lesbian whores above them, which I find sickening. You know, the, why does homophobia exist? I just can't. <sighs> yeah, obviously you knew I had to discuss some offensive things when going on what not to do with female characters and representation, and yeah. So Silk Spectre 2, aka Laurie, isn't told anything by Dr. Manhattan, but given a flashback to his powers, discovers a man tried to rape Silk's, Silk Spectre 1 via overhearing an argument, uh, Laurie stops the thought understandably because it's too traumatic. The husband's not sympathetic to the concern of Silk Spectre 1, okay? So the next scene's a normal discussion between Dan and Laurie, humorous, sorry, humorous conversation which doesn't feature anything sexist. She complains her tight latex costume was awful, and there's an interesting thread where Laurie dressed up to fight crime because her mother wanted her to. Having not read the comic and only going off the movie, the movie doesn't show any more about how Laurie became who she is. But then they discuss Dr. Manhattan and how Dr. Manhattan's only concerned about his work. I still reckon that this work is mainly concerned with male protagonists and their stories, which is not inherently a bad thing, but I agree. The women aren't as developed. There is, however, a scene I should note. Laurie and her mother, Silk Spectre 1, speak, but it does not pass the Bechdel test. First, they briefly mention Dr. Manhattan transporting Laurie into the apartment. Then they mention an eight-page porno comic. They discuss Eddie, the comedian. You know, uh, uh, Laurie's mother's name is Sally. I wrote, it as, uh, I wrote it as Spectre after Silk Spectre 1, but I'll just call her Sally like she is in the film. Now, here's where it, here's where it gets really troublesome. If the... If, if the lesbian couple, dead in bed, was troublesome, dead in bed, then this is, that appears like nothing compared to the, the streak of misogyny in the rest of this film. You know, I, it's, a, it's a thing I really don't like about this film. You know, where uh, Sally says, poor Eddie, after what he did to you, Laurie, it, Laurie's definitely on the right track when she says that. But then Spectre says, what happened? Sorry, when Sally says, what happened, happened 40 years ago. I can't believe it. I can't believe she'd brush it off that lightly. And yes, person who suggested this, you're right. You know, you, you had trouble with how the work depicted rape, you know, and uh, the consequences, the mental consequences, and that's what I have trouble with too. We find out just after this scene that the comedian, yeah, he attempted to rape her after a photo session, but was stopped by another attacker. We then get to, uh, you know, the comedian is staring at her breasts and her undressing and so we get camera angles and it's very uncomfortable and objectifying with the bodily close-ups but you know it's i can i can understand why they did it in terms of filmmaking the comedian is a sleazy fuck disguised as a hero and the scenes from his perspective the shots are an understandable decision for the film much like in taxi driver where we follow travis bickle who is openly racist and because he's openly racist in that film, we see several shots of black people as if they are antagonists. Martin Scorsese, the director, and Robert De Niro, the actor playing Travis, are not racist. But the character is, and while it may be uncomfortable, I would argue movies aren't supposed to make you feel com comfortable all the time. But yeah, I'm, I do get sick of objectifying shots like that, what they were doing in Watchmen. So, back to Watchmen. Eddie is victim-blaming her, saying she wants it, which I hate when people say that. I hate it. And, deservedly, she punches Eddie. And 
But, however, Eddie laughs as he punches her repeatedly, slams her head into a pool table, and there's an excessive, in my opinion, a, an excessive shot. Yes, I'm going to talk about all the tough stuff, you know, to, uh, the, sorry, the tough to deal with stuff. So, yeah, I already said the trigger warning. There's a close-up of him unbuckling his belt. I argue this shot is excessive and could have been done at a more distant shot. And, luckily... Eddie gets beaten up by this other guy, so he can't actually... He, he, he doesn't rape her. So, yeah. I'm seeing the author's sexism in action. Sally isn't bitter about the attempted rape. Such a memory would devastate her and break her down to tears, or at the very least make her very, very angry. Her reaction here is too unbelievable. I asked another friend what they thought of that scene, and they said maybe she'd just shut down. Personally, I stand by my opinion I stated before. However... Next, we have a scene in which an unidentified pregnant Asian woman confronts the comedian about an unplanned pregnancy. The comedian's grumbling, he's saying, just what I fucking needed, just clearly not giving a fuck, mocks her country and shows blatant disregard for the baby, before she attacks him with a broken glass bottle. And the comedian grabs a gun and shoots her dead. Ugh. I mean, as I said before, this is the type of film where you're interested to see where this tragedy goes, but the characters are just terrible, okay? But, yeah. He he proceeds to be, beat up both men and women during a protest against vigilantes. And one thing that I reckon... Yeah, I can see how they thought it'd fit the world, but the next woman to appear is a prostitute who tries to, uh... who tries to come on to Rorschach and calls him a fucking homo to insult him, which, again, I don't get homophobia, seriously. She's never seen again, though. Rorschach's narrating about something else. Um, but the very next scene, I reckon this was, this was actually alright. If it was, like, I get it, character relationship drama. You know, the very next scene, Laurie's sucking on Dr. Manhattan's thumb, and she's in bed about, as about three beings of Dr. Manhattan can split up into caressing her, you know, she has problems with the relationship. He's focused on work much more than having a good, a good relationship. He's become too godlike. So yeah, that scene's necessary. It furs, furthers the story, unlike another sex scene later. So yeah. I don't, however, care for the fact that Laurie is underdeveloped. She talks about superheroes in several scenes, sure, but unlike the others, she's not given much of a personality, if at all, unlike the male characters. Dr. Manhattan, for example, is an interesting man with godlike powers. He's... Um, maybe the second least flawed out of every vigilante is arguably the most interesting story, and he, whilst having relationship troubles, okay, he is a sexist man because, okay, um, I wrote this note before he was revealed to be sexist. He treats everyone equally and has rational discussions, even when he meets his former wife, Janie, who he, in, who he inadvertently left, and they've proposed he's caused their cancer. You know, he does try to be respectful. He loved his wife very much, but circumstances tear him apart. Dr. Manhattan lies to her in 1970 saying he still wants her, but then he cheats on her with Laurie, so that's the bullshit that, that, his, uh, that his first wife had to put up with. So yeah, oh, it's, yeah, when I really examine this, you know, when I really get into it on this eighth viewing, I think that I'm getting more out of it, and I'm really disliking some parts of it, Dr. Manhattan is cheating because apparently he doesn't like his first wife getting older. You know, 
I'm he may he may like otherwise outside of that he may be the most rational technically of older men but that's not saying much that's a story of a fractured relationship caused by a flawed human being it's it's truly shocking how little it if at all these men care for women but Dan still seems to care about Laurie. Laurie tries to investigate the mystery with Dan, but still she doesn't really have any character of her own. Rorschach's, Rorschach's mother is in a flashback to his childhood. You know, this is like a character-building scene. She openly set, She's openly making out with another guy and uh, saying that she should have had an abortion. And, ooh, ouch. So, yeah, he had a neglected neglectful childhood and I can understand that I can understand that it was necessary for the story but the continued pattern in this story of women in mostly demeaning or almost entirely undeveloped roles is extremely problematic and not necessary for the story. Larry needs more development perhaps she got it in the book who knows. So yeah um next we got uh, two bullies confronting a young Rorschach in a flashback and saying you know I heard this guy's mum's a whore did you catch any diseases from her whore son? Meh. I forgot how misogynistic the world of Watchmen was putting aside the fact that I still think it's a good movie due to the examination of corrupt anti-heroes but yeah um moving on to another scene Laurie does get a kick-ass scene in costume helping Dan save people in a burning building you know so so yeah Next, we have the world's weirdest sex scene. Don't worry, this sex scene is done consensually. You know, it's the weirdest sex scene, and I've seen Blue Velvet. The sex feels unearned. Yes, Dan and Laurie know each other as friends, but they barely started dating, and there they are, stripping each other of their superhero suits, fucking each other's brains out to hallelujah on that same ship. <laughs> For two whole minutes before the moment she comes, when she hits the ship's button to uh, emit flames. <laughs> Seriously, that whole scene is unintentionally hilarious and you could take it out of the movie and it would not make a fucking difference. <laughs> that said, a few scenes later, Laurie and Dan do get to kick ass together in a jail riot. Laurie could have been a really cool character if she were developed properly, but as it stands, this fight is her best scene in my opinion. I know they try to attempt a little bit of a thread, but it doesn't quite work for me in terms of storytelling. So a bit later, we have an argument between Rorschach and Dan. Rorschach says, you're too soft, you're, you're too trusting, especially with women. And Dan finally confronts him. I quote this verbatim from Dan, by the way. You live off people while insulting them. And no one complains because they think you're a goddamn lunatic. <sighs> so Laurie does try to stand up to Dr. Manhattan. They're now both on Mars against his quote unquote bullshit. She does shut out what she's afraid of, but not anymore. This is really the only semblance of a character arc that Laurie has to me, unless there's something more in the graphic novel, I don't know, but it's barely explored. Now moving on, in a flashback, Dr. Manhattan allows Laurie to see the truth and her encounter with the comedian where they just chat, but uh, Sally, Laurie's mother from earlier, tells her to, sorry, tells him to stay away. Laurie's mother's husband, sorry, Sally's husband, victim blames her for giving birth to Laurie, even though the comedian it, like, sorry, not even though. But yeah, it's revealed in this scene that the comedian is her father. Obviously a very tough truth that she has to face. Dr. Manhattan sees this differently, where even through difficult circumstances, even though Sally deciding to have an affair with the man who tried to rape her, just all the, all the troublesome relationship that should have never happened, that it's a miracle Laurie came out as she was. Then finally, at the very end of the film, she reveals to Sally she knows the comedian's her father. 
So Sally says she feels ashamed and stupid, but Laurie says not to worry. And the mother says, you know why I wasn't mad at him? Because he gave me you. Now, that sounds sweet at first, but, but I still reckon Sally should be mad at the comedian, even though he's dead. He did try to rape her. Hello? He, he tried to rape you. Why are you not reacting in anger or, or sadness or, or something? <sighs> Gosh. Oh, ever since someone pointed out the sexism in Watchmen, I like it less than I did. But, you know, I honestly, I just, I examine, I examine sexism as well as the good side. I examine the flip sides of the coin just to make sure that we do not ever make the same mistakes. Okay? Ever. So, yeah. That, that's the episode for today, and it turns out I will get it out on time. That was actually shorter than I thought, by the way. So yeah, even though I packed in an evening's viewing of Watchmen and Fight Club, and Fight Club's actually more consistently entertaining, though, and, you know, Fight Club, I don't... To, to my knowledge, you know, Fight Club really does not demean women. You know, I don't think it demeans women, or... Well, yeah, I just watched it, so I'd know. So, yeah, I could be wrong. If there's an example that you want to point out that I didn't spot where they do demean women, then by all means, tell me about it. And, you know, um, I'll gain that insight, the, I, sorry, that insight into the film. But, yeah, I hope that this has been a very helpful discussion for all of you uh, listening. Sorry that I had to go through such tough topics, but, you know, I... <sighs> Yeah. Now, on to the shout-outs. Three, two, one, here we go. Okay, that was a bit early. So, I'm going to give shout-outs to Zach Ascot, first of all, Saved by His Grace 72. I'm going to give a shout-out to Teacup Arenos, a Classic Blonde, Naked Airplane, KO, Savage Elbow, Carlofo Grande, El Salt One, Sam from IJ, Still Mellow, Lee, JM75, Contrera, Tessie Cat, Pack Cat, Mary Amber, Real Sharks Podcast, aka Riri Shaku, Autistic in Melbourne, Ashy Slashy, Heavenly Imagine, Rose Bagali, Larry1937-2621, Dev Diner, Marbella Unicorn, Talk Me Into, Schlock V, bonus shoutouts to Films with Amy, Nathan Seabolt, Film Mama Tick, and Liz Slade. And, you know, I, I hope I was respectful about this whole thing, I really do. I tried my best, okay? But now, I'm going to sign out. We need your voice, because you can change things for the better.